Humble Holding Up is sponsored by the North Coast Co-op. And since by clicking on this, you have identified yourself as a person who is not opposed to podcasts, we wanted to let you know that the North Coast Co-op's cheese department has their own podcast, if you can believe it. (laughs) Steph, will you say the name of the Co-op's cheese podcast? Because I just can't. I'm actually so excited to say it. It's called Cheese the Day, Andrew. Yes. Yes, it is. One more time. Cheese the day. That's right. Listen to the co-op's resident cheese nerds nerd out hard on cheese. Uh, One more time, Steph. Cheese the day. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. And speaking of cheese, Humble Holding Up is also coincidentally enough brought to you by Cypress Grove Cheese, who reminds you that the holidays are a great time to share locally produced products with your far off friends and family. That's right. So why not send your loved ones some cheese? like Cypress Grove's award-winning Humboldt Fog, Purple Haze, Midnight Moon, and more. You can find Cypress Grove in local grocery stores or online at cypressgrovecheese.com. And now, let's get on with this cheesy podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Humboldt holding up the Lost Coast Outpost podcast that just keeps going, going and going. Will it ever end? I don't know. Probably someday, but not today. I'm Stephanie McGarry. And I'm Andrew Goff. Yeah, here we are again. On this week's show, we have uh, Zuska Sabata and Michelle Hernandez. Zuska is a part of the Del Arte. And uh, Michelle is a filmmaker and Wiat tribal member. Yes, Ted is her dad, in case you're wondering. Anyway, Michelle and Zuska are part of a group that is working on something called the Barto Project, which is mostly a film project that aims to chronicle the life and work of the late Rick Barto, who was a Wiat artist uh, of some renown, whose work made it all the way to the Smithsonian and to the White House. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Rick his work and why Michelle and Zuska saw fit to pour themselves into such a project. Uh, what do you say? Without further ado, we just uh, get him in here. Let's talk about it. I would love to do that. Get on in here, Michelle and Zuska. Hey, how's it okay. going? Good. This is nice. Hey. Here we are. We're all here. If, if you're all are, are, are ready, we can, we'll, we'll step into like the official podcast space. And I thought, you know, just maybe some, some quick introductions off the top for people who are not familiar with your work. Why don't we start with you, Michelle? My name is Michelle Hernandez. I am a WeOt travel member and a um, filmmaker. And yeah, that's, that's it. That's all I do. Okay. <laughs> Well, and, yeah, that was a very you, quick introduction. Yeah. You really took you say, that. Uh, how, <laughs> how, long have you been, how long have you been making films? Oh, so I've been making films for about mm, 10 years. I, did, okay. I just recently, like a couple of months ago, quit my full-time job and I'm doing filmmaking full-time now, which has been a, a journey. I'm also the co-artistic director for the Bartow Project and a producer and a co-director for one of the films. Well, now two of the films. Okay. Okay. And uh, and and Zuska, yeah. So my name is Zuska Sabata. I am the co-artistic director of the Barto Project alongside Michelle. I have been a Delarte uh, faculty and staff member since 2010, and this project uh, was funded by the California Arts Council in 2019. And in March of 2020, (laughs) 
Uh, everything happened. Thing, yeah, what happened? This, this thing happened where the play we were writing suddenly became impossible to actually produce for an audience. Right. So, you know, after about an eight or nine month um, long respite, allowing things to percolate, um, I actually uh, managed to reach out to Michelle and find the silver lining in the in the situation, which was that many of her projects were also canceled. I reached out to her in the beginning of the project because she knew Rick Barto personally, um, and I definitely wanted her voice somewhere in the project. Anyway, long story short. Uh, together, we devised a new proposal that uh, intended to create four short films instead of a play. And here we are today. We, we, um, we, we want to talk about Rick Bartow and the Bartow Project. But re real quick off the top here, I, I saw something else on, on actually the, the Bartow Project website. Uh, something else that the, the Wiat Tribe and Del Arte are collaborating on, taking place this week that I found interesting. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, the Thursday. Sunrise Gathering. Can you talk a little bit about that before? Since Just because this is a, an immediate thing that's going to be happening this week, I, I thought maybe we could we could preview it before we get into the, the bigger thing. Sure, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. We started this a couple of years ago, uh, the year before the pandemic. Um, another faculty member at the time, Elizabeth Colon Nelson, and I, uh, we're talking and I was bemoaning that I wouldn't be able to uh, go down to the barrier to attend the uh, sunrise ceremony that's been occurring on Alcatraz Island since 1975 or something like that, which mm. I'd had the pleasure of going to maybe three or four times in my life and always counted it as uh, a holiday highlight um, to be able to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and then watch the sunrise from an island in the bay with a couple thousand people. Mm -hmm. And uh, Elizabeth said, well, why don't we just do something on the Badawat, you know? And I was like, ah, genius, <laughs> genius, yes, we can. So on um, Thanksgiving Day, uh, there will be a fire uh, on the banks of the Badawat River. Um, on the down river, uh, I guess it would be the northern bank. Um, and uh, folks are welcome to arrive at any time they'd like. Sunrise is at 7.15. Uh, for me, the experience is about watching the, 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 the environment go from total darkness into daylight um, and to de have an opportunity to decolonize the holiday by uh, spending that quiet, observant time uh, to be grateful for the place we are in and also the people, the Salatluk people, the Wiat tribe that had cared for that place for so long before white settlers arrived in the area. So this is a, a, a tradition to do well, or? It's been occurring on Alcatraz Island. Um, a coalition of tribes have been holding it there um, essentially since the occupation by the American Indian movement on Alcatraz Island. So that was in, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but the early 70s was about three years. And it was okay. a central kickoff point of the civil rights movement within the Native American community on the West Coast um, in that time period. Um, and uh, but we only um, started doing this on the Badawat two years ago. So we had one fire last year. We just did a social media post and said, if you want to take a walk, you know, um, okay. just because COVID made it sure. very inappropriate to suggest a gathering. 
But do you see it as but, something continuing, maybe moving forward as a, as a slightly bigger annual event? For sure. Yeah, I would love that it just moves forward and happens every year and that it's a community event, not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, something that I have to or somebody else has to do. Yeah, well, we, yeah we just we just saw that you were promoting that on the uh, on the Bartow Project website. And since it was coming up, we thought we'd kick off with that just so so people uh, are aware that it, that it's happening. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the main thing we want to talk about today, obviously, is this thing that the, the We Are Tribe and Del Arte have been working on together, which you, you talked about a little bit already, the Barto Project, which seems like it's a pretty ambitious multimedia endeavor. But before we like get into the, the nuts and bolts of the project, obviously, first question we have to ask is, who was Rick Barto? I guess I can take part of that. So um, Rick Barto is a We Are Travel member and a Native artist. Um, he's known throughout the Native community of art. And so it's our goal to get him known outside. But I don't know, for me, I have a different experience because I call him Uncle Rick. I've known him since I was a, I was a teenager because unfortunately we lost him a couple years ago. But he was this man who cared for everyone. I don't know. He just brought people together from what I had felt. And then also, like, I had a personal connection with him because he would come and spend days with our family. And so, I don't know, it was just Uncle Rick. That's for me. That's who Uncle Rick. I know Zuska has a better understanding. But for me, he was just a family member that was there who drew drawings. And my little sister was his favorite. And we knew that. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does Rick Barto mean to you, Zuska? Uh, well, I can't say I know. I have a better understanding, Michelle. I have a different understanding. Yeah. You have an understanding that I will never have, um, knowing him in person. But uh, I honestly, it was it was kind of silly how it came about because I um, saw a uh, the catalog publication for Rick Bartos. Uh, a retrospective that started traveling around the country in 2015, um, curated by the Jordan Schnitzer Museum um, from up north in Oregon, uh, where Rick spent his whole life. Rick was from Newport, Oregon, um, but he is uh, his ancestors are Weot. His uh, grandfather traveled up the coast at the beginning of the 20th century and emigrated up to Oregon um, in search of a safer place for his family. Um, uh, but yeah, I saw this book at the Clark Museum and I recognized the artwork as something that I had seen before and just loved, remembered it was a Native American man, didn't know anything else. Um, and then I looked inside, realized that he um, comes from the Mad River band of Weot. Um, at least that's the way it's described um, uh, uh, now. Um, and so at that time, Delarte had a partnership, a, a several year partnership going with the We Out Tribe um, that I had been a lead artist on where we were working with the after school program, creating shadow plays and doing cultural work. It was really great. Mm. And so I said, hey, guys, there's this awesome artist. We should do a show. Um, we should collaborate so people get to know him. They're like, oh, yeah, Uncle Rick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and sadly, it was also about a year and a half after his passing, I think, was when um, we started that conversation. So I didn't even realize that he had passed at that point. But that's where it all started out. Um, and Michelle Vassal, tribal administrator, and Ted Hernandez, uh, tribal chair of the Weot tribe, they were both really enthusiastic about uh, doing something that would be um, 
bring Rick's life and his artwork into the consciousness of youth of our local community um, to uh, collaborate with local native artists to have something that um, connects all these communities together in some way. Yeah. yeah. So, so to be clear, you know, he he worked in it looks like pastels and and uh, sculpture um, and and paintings. He did he did he did a, a lot of things. Why Michelle did he? Why did you call him Uncle Rick? Like what what, what describe that relationship a, a little bit? Like what what kind of a figure was he in your in your childhood? Yeah. So it, I got to know him when I was a teenager. So it wasn't I wasn't a child. I was more okay. yeah. I guess, a youth young adult. Um, yeah. So I, traditionally um, we call friends who are very close to us family members. It was something I had to explain to my partner because when he first we first started dating and I brought him to the res, I'd be like, oh, that's my uncle um, so-and-so, that's my uncle so-and-so. Yeah. And he'd be yeah. like, oh, your dad has a lot of brothers and sisters. This <laughs> <laughs> isn't common because I have a lot of biological uncles and aunts, but I was like, well, let me explain this to you. I'm like, yeah. traditionally, these people come into your life and they are seen as uncles and aunts. And that's a very big honor to have because they oversee your childhood or your life and they teach you lessons. Um, so when Uncle Rick showed up, I think, oh, it, I don't even know. I must have been like 19. So I was almost on the verge of being 20. And we'd gone to the Smithsonian and we met him. Um, and then my dad hit it off. That's how it all started. was my dad hit it off with Rick. And I think he'd met him previously. And so I think what happened was Rick was just coming to show his work at the Smithsonian. And mm -hmm. the Smithsonian asked, how do you want, like, do you want to invite the tribe? What do you want? Is there any cultural things that you do? And Rick was like, I don't know, reach out to the tribe. So they reached out to the tribe. And at that point we were bringing back traditions and ceremonies. So we were doing brush dance demonstrations. And so my dad was like, yeah, we'll bring a bunch of youth to come do this brush dance demo um, in honor of Rick, who is a We Out tribal member. So we all went there. And I remember um, Uncle Rick was, I guess, oh, he was telling my dad, oh, do your thing and have the, you know, youth do the brush dance. And my dad's like, oh, what do you mean? You're joining us. Like, you're going <laughs> to do this. Um, so you ended up doing the brush dance. And I felt like we all felt like it, it's all in our DNA. So I think he was very nervous. He you know, he'd never done this, but it was there. <laughs> had to, like, awaken it. So it's just in your DNA. And so after <laughs> that, you know, my dad and him had hit it off. They had invited him to come stay at our house with Karen, who is his friend, um, who is our family friend. And so then that led to this relationship and out of respect, because he was also an elder. I was like, oh, this is our uncle. Like, I mean, that's what dad would refer. He's like, this is Uncle Rick. And I think Rick had told my dad that he could call him uncle. That's another thing is we ask if we can call them these names because it is a okay. huge honor. So my dad was like, yeah, he's your uncle Rick now. So we're like, okay, mm. cool. We have another uncle in our lives. Um, but yeah, he came and visit us. I remember when I first talked to Zuska about Uncle Rick, I told the ghost story. <laughs> um, so me and my okay. yeah have this obsession with the paranormal. And so we were like, oh, we're going to, again, I'm like 20. I should be grown out of this. But I was like, I have all these kids and siblings and we watch these weird shows. And so me and my siblings were like, oh, we're going to make a ghost tour in Lolita. And then my brother was like, yes. And Uncle Rick came to visit. And we we're like, hey, Uncle Rick, you want to go on our ghost tour? And he was like, yeah, sure. Again, we hadn't fully thought this idea out. We just him <laughs> in my mom's gray minivan around different areas that we thought were haunted. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, 
I, I love this. Okay. We ended it, of course, at a cemetery in Lolita. I don't know if you've ever visited the Lolita Cemetery. It's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason we wanted to go. We didn't really think it was haunted. We're just like, it's so cool looking. That's how we're going to end this tour. And I, my brother must have been oh seven. So I had this little seven-year-old, me and Uncle Rick in the car. So we're at the cemetery and we do the stop. And he's like, so where's my wine and cheese? And I was like, no wine and cheese. Also, I'm not old enough to buy wine. He's like, well, <laughs> um, that'll make this even more better. He's like, that's what it's missing. He's like, the overall tour is great, but it's really missing wine and cheese. And so like that, and I was like, oh, that's definitely how family members act. So I was like, yeah, you're definitely my <laughs> uncle. And that kind of yeah. off. Um, but yeah, that's how we came to have him as a family member in my family. Okay. I love that. Yeah, he, he was cl- <laughs> he was close enough to drive around with in a minivan with you around to the <laughs> well, Lolita Cemetery and yeah places okay. in Lolita are haunted. Did you take him to the Lolita Cheese Factory because then you know <laughs> we didn't even take him to get some of the Lolita cheese. Uh, we would <laughs> drove. There's this little house by the res, which like us as kids would run around and like do hide and seek but we're like oh that house is definitely haunted so we just drove and I remember at one point I think like it was like we could have just walked there. I'm like but this part of the ghost tour don't worry about it. it's part of the ghost tour we have to drive but we also knew we couldn't drive farther because there's like a no trespassing so I was like I guess a bit like we're really not doing the ghost tour we're just mm-hmm. driving around looking at old places that me and my sibling are like yeah definitely haunted definitely haunted i love this idea of that of that being a ghost tour it's like you don't have any history prepared it's just like places that i think that where ghosts probably are make it up (laughs) so great well well, let's let's talk a little bit about about rick's art you know like i I mentioned very briefly the, the stuff that i said but like you know he was a he was an artist of of some renown like he had a piece that was in the in the White House garden at some point. Did I, I read that, right? Is that correct? Possibly, yeah. I know that there was a piece, I remember a photograph, I think it was from the Clinton era, yeah. of a piece that was inside. Um, it's quite possible that there was one in the gardens as well. But yeah, Rick, like he uh, worked in a lot of different mediums, like you mentioned. And I wanted to go back to what Michelle uh, said about going to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., the um, uh, National Museum of the American Indian there on the on the mall. There are two pole sculptures um, uh, that Rick made that now stand at the entrance of the uh, museum. And uh, uh, the dedication of those those pole sculptures was what brought Michelle and the other youth to do the brush dance demo at, at, at that time there. Um, so so later on in life, he, he had uh, taught himself carving skills because he was fascinated by the work of more northern tribes along the, the, the western seaboard. Um, mm. uh, but his style was his own they're not totems they're pole sculptures no, yeah, i'm looking at some of them right now they're just i mean yeah made out of cedar right yes and yeah. often and actually yeah, no. one of our exciting developments in the project is that we were able to install a smaller pole sculpture that rick made and gifted to michelle's father in the new cultural center which oh, nice. uh, is in uh old town eureka 
Yes, yeah. I've actually seen it uh, because, as you oh, know, that's right. You yeah, we have offices in the same building. Yes, yeah, so we, are we are upstairs. We're, from we're upstairs neighbors center. from them, and as you know, we know Marnie and Marnie is our new best friend, and yeah. have had her had her on the podcast before to talk about the, the culture right. center. And and as they've been moving yeah. in, I, I I stopped by the other day, and and she showed me that that piece and said, "Oh yes, this is Rick Bartow. I don't know if you you know who he is." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I definitely." Have. I'm learning. Yeah, yeah I'm learning <laughs> still. But uh, his his work is, I mean, it's, it's magnificent. It's very yeah. striking, striking, and mm. and unique. You know, like you said, Suska is it's really his own. So do you know do you know anything about like how Rick's uh, art beginnings? Like how how did he get on uh, on this path? Michelle, fill in anything that I'm missing. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, Rick, I mean, really uh, started early on. He was encouraged by his uh, his paternal aunt um, to do artwork when he was growing up. And um, uh, at one point, this is what his brother told me. Um, he, like when he was 12 years old or something, he was obsessed with uh, entomology. So he had a bug collection, you know, he was doing the whole thing where he was preserving the animals. Um, and uh, uh, he also um, essentially taught himself drafting skills by um, learning how to draw the insects that he was collecting. Um, so he'd always uh, drawn and um, practiced visual art making along with music since he was a teenager. And he ended up getting his uh, university education as a secondary school art teacher and did that for a little bit um, after returning from his service in the Vietnam War. But um, the point in time where art making became very important for him personally, but before he had committed to it professionally was when he was working through the trauma of his service in Vietnam um, by drawing and uh, creating images that uh, helped him process through the things that he was feeling and experiencing. And so that was essentially throughout the, the 70s. Um, I don't know when he started painting specifically. I do know that early on in his art making, he is also totally broke. Um, and so he was, um, you know, the cheapest materials that he could get his hands on were just, you know, charcoal and, and, and like newsprint. Um, and so his earliest works are made with those mediums. But he also, in the beginnings, um, in these sort of bouts of passion, you might say, um, he burned a lot of his earlier work. But he was incredibly prolific throughout his life. And it's been amazing to um, get more information from the filmmakers who are doing all this research into different parts of Rick's life about um, you know, how his evolution looked and hearing from people who were close to him about his, uh, his generosity and that he was incredibly prolific, but he also like gave away his artwork constantly. In fact, at one point when I was talking to his, uh, gallerist and close friend, Charles Froelich, Charles was laughing and saying how he would have to tell him, you need to stop this. We have to sell the paintings so that you have an income. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, there'd be an art opening and, and, and Rick would start talking to somebody and just get involved in some wonderful conversation. And, and they would mention how they liked something on the wall and he would just take it off the wall and say, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, as 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 you're studying, as you've been uh, researching uh, Rick's life, is there is there a moment where you know he goes from from being creating art uh, to getting more on that national stage? You know, like so you know, to to get into the Smithsonian. Uh, obviously, that's a that's a big deal. Like, how how does he go from you know just his his beginnings to uh, a, a wider acceptance and appreciation? Well, I think I mean. Let's see. Uh, I haven't really put this together specifically myself. There's, of course, so much to read about and know. But essentially, um, uh, he, at a certain point, was encouraged by his partner, his second wife, Julie Swan, um, to actually uh, invest all all of his energy into his art career. Um, so she was an amazing artist uh, in her own right, a musician. They knew each other from the Newport music scene uh, mm-hmm. for a decade before they got together. Um, but she made it clear, A, to him that, you know, it was it was going to be worth it. Like he had what it, he had the talent to actually do this as his life path. Um, that encouragement was, was, you know, that confidence in him was very important, but also she um, held down the financial side of their family while he worked through what it meant to become uh, a professional artist. And again, Charles Froelich will talk about, you know, you don't see the years of grueling work and the lack of money that go into somebody who has their statues in front of the Smithsonian, right? Yeah. But um, he first was represented by the um, Jameson Thomas Gallery, if I'm getting that right, William Jameson and uh, James Thomas, maybe, <laughs> uh, in Portland. And then later on, um, Charles Froelich, who initially worked at Jameson, um, started his own gallery. And when William Jameson passed away of HIV, um, uh, Rick was then represented by Charles. And Charles was like an incredible uh, advocate for uh, Rick and his art. Um, so uh, from my perspective, from what I've learned, um, it was both people believing in Rick and being willing to work to uh, uh, tell the world about him, to make him available to folks. And the fact that Rick was such an incredibly generous person who truly connected to the people that he met and collaborated with. He, you know, throughout his life, he had uh, artistic uh, uh, colleagues across the world from Japan to New Zealand to, uh, you know, his close friends um, from the Pacific Northwest, like Lillian Pitt and Joe Fetterson, um, who uh, he traveled to many um, places with, uh, who uh, were a part of, um, yeah, his, his career in art making. Just another reminder that Humble Holding Up is brought to you by the North Coast Co-op. And as somebody who uh, operates, works in Old Town Eureka, let me just say, when uh, those lunchtime hunger pangs hit, I find myself drawn to the salad bar at the North Coast Co-op. What I do is I, I go, I take the spinach. I really go overboard on the, uh, the, the, the tofu chunks. And then, um, some, you know, a bunch of onions. I also, I'll throw some chicken in there with the tofu. I go heavy on the protein stuff is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Make it as much like not a vegetable salad as possible. (laughs) It was really hard for me. You know, the the salad bar went away during COVID for obvious reasons for a little bit. Um, I remember that was really hard on you. It was really hard on me, but it's back. 
and uh, oh, and then I put I, I cover it all with the the balsamic vinaigrette. Uh, yeah, because it's like in my mind I'm doing something healthy for myself, but I don't know if I ultimately that's what happens. I really I I I like a I like a fat salad. Well, there's no place better to make yourself a fat salad than at the uh, North Coast Co-op. So let's let's go get a salad right now, Andrew. I can't wait. Right now. So Andrew, with the holidays coming up and all of like the family parties and friend things, you know, I'm always looking for different snacks to give people. And one of my favorite things to do is just to do like a nice cheese board. Yeah. You ever do this? You ever just like put out cheese, a, a variety of cheeses for people? Well, I'm a, ho- I'm a horrible host, so oh, okay. I don't, I don't usually do that, but I, I aspire to be better. And so I will learn from your example that uh, Cypress Grove, uh, that's what you're talking about, right? That's the cheese that you put out. Well, yeah, it's always at least one of them. I definitely got to include mm. some, some Cypress Grove cheese. Uh, I love the classic Humboldt Fog is a favorite, Purple Haze. People just love it. And so Cypress Grove cheese is just part of the holidays for me. Yeah. Honestly, go to go to Steph's house and not my house. This is the lesson here. <laughs> or, She's got go the Cypress get, Grove. or go get some of your own Cypress Grove cheese. You can find it in local stores, pretty much any local grocery store or online at cypressgrovecheese.com. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the project uh, it, itself. Now, you know, I, it's you, you mentioned a, a little bit, you know, about what it's going to be now that they're a large component of it will be these four short films. And, uh, you know, maybe Michelle, since you're going to be very involved, you're very involved in the, the film uh, production, maybe you could talk a, a little bit about that. Um, like what, what exactly uh, are these, these films going to look like, you know, I mean, is this a, a continuous thing or, you know, parts to kind of one whole story or are they all, very individual, you know, what, what is that going to look like? Yeah, so there are four individual films, um, but they all focus on Uncle Rick. Um, so we have four, or well, we have three, and now building our fourth team together for the fourth film. Um, so each team has a native lead. So when I came onto this project, I told Zuska that was something that I thought was really, really important was to have native leads on these projects, because as artists, and especially as native artists or any um, you know, person of color, artist, we just don't get those opportunities often. And so I told Zuska, it is a, you know, Rick is native. Um, he is Wiat. So I don't, I wasn't specifying it had to be Wiat native artists. It just had to be native artists. And so we started this process of bringing people together and asking people if they were interested, um, specifically native people. And I was really excited to ask them about the project because again, it's an opportunity to get funding for a film. I don't know if you know how hard it is to raise funding for films, but it's a process. And sometimes <laughs> you're yeah, just I like, I'm gonna give up on my project and you don't. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, I can tell these artists, hey, yeah. So another thing is you don't have to raise the funds. We're giving them to you. And so a lot of people were excited because again, a lot of them are first time filmmakers or artists or have done one or two films. Some people have just, made films like I have. Um, So they're all in different parts of their lives, our careers as filmmakers. So that's how that came to be with the filmmakers. Um, So my team, I'm working with Shanti, who's Inuit. Um, She's an amazing stop motion artist. So we are focusing on 
kind of what it means to be an older Native person, to have traditions come. And that was something, as I got older, I didn't realize I could relate with Uncle Rick, was because we both were there when traditions were coming. Even though I was a bit younger, and he was a bit older, we still could relate in that stage. And so not only is this movie focusing on Uncle Rick and what it meant for him to have traditions, um, but me and Shanti, who also, Shanti's um, in that stage in her her life as a Native person, bringing back her traditions as well. So we wanted to make this kind of love letter to Native people and what it means to bring those traditions and how to relate to that. So it's a letter for them as well. We wanted everyone um, to see that. And then we have Chug and um, Wishoya and Melvin, who are doing a, um, a doc about Uncle Rick's life during Vietnam, but also bringing other Native Wea, um, tribal members to talk about it and how it all relates together. And that's a really cool film as well. He's also a comic book artist. Um, so it was cool to have that perspective. He also knows a lot about Natives um, during different times of war um, in the United States. So that's why we brought him on. And I remember talking to him and saying, hey, I have this project, are you interested? And then we had, we got, I get really nervous when I talk to new artists. Cause I'm like, how do I tell them like, hey, I want you on this project. Um, because I'm always feeling like, oh, maybe they'll say no. But right away he was like, yes. And I was like, great. And then I was also like, there's funding for you. So you don't have to worry about that either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then our other team was Nanette. And so she, oh, she's from, she's a native from Oklahoma. Osage, right? Yes, yeah. Osage. Um, and so she came on board because she had already had a fellowship. And so, which was already kind of focusing on native artists. And then one of them happened to be on Uncle Rick. And so we had reached out to her and saying, hey, do you want to be a part of this project as well? And we also have additional funding for you as well. And so her focus is on Crow Shadow. And she's also talking to a lot of community members that knew Rick. Um, so she's working on her doc as well. And then the newest project, um, which is coming together quite rapidly right now, um, it's going to be a dance video. And for me, this is, I feel like the key element of the entire series, just because it's really important. It focuses on Julie and Rick. And so for me, and I tell this to Zuska all the time, um, I think people put artists, partners, especially if they're women kind of on the side and don't really see them as only just as their partner. But Julie was an artist herself. And she also is kind of the reason why he got so big because she said, hey, you know, it's okay, I will financially set us, you know, get a stable, and you focus on art. And so that's kind of the reason why he is, it's not only is this community, but his partner said, hey, I support you. And again, a lot of people don't realize that she was an artist herself. Um, and they both had this amazing relationship that uplifted both of them to go so far as where they went. Um, so that's kind of the newest film, it's going to be a dance um, video focusing on their relationship through motion. Um, but that's mm -hmm. kind of how the films seem to be and we're really excited about them. And they're all, like I said, um, the dance one right now is in the early stages, but everybody else is a go. They've been making their films for the past four months. Wow. Yeah, four months. So everyone's mm -hmm. in different stages, um, but they are in production right now. And, and what did, did I see that like uh, spring or summer of 2022 is what the, the projected when this will be unveiled to the world? So it will be spring. We're actually in the process. We just had our first meeting with Zuska a week or actually this Monday. I don't know what time it's, but I think it was in those days. <laughs> um, we were getting together and we're starting to 
plan for the premieres, which is really exciting because this could have brought me on board, I think, in October um, when we were just, yeah, Yeah. last year we were rewriting the grant. And I remember I thought I was just being hired to consult on the grant. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'm leaving this project. And this was like, um, so I need a co-artistic director. Would you like to just know the Yes. I need somebody who knows what they're doing okay. in filmmaking, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what's, what Zuska started, you know, which was originally a play and now has become four short films, which is so much different than the play and can give access to so many other people. That's what's so exciting about this project. Is it's not just humble community, but outside. We have so many goals for mm-hmm. it, but I can talk about that later. Um, but when Monday happened and we were doing the planning for um, the premiere, I remember telling this guy, I can't believe how far we've come from this little idea to getting people together, to learning so much, to now knowing our filmmakers are creating their productions and will be done hopefully by January for the summer or the spring premiere. It's gotten really far. So, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Are you going to be, you know, I know that part of the shift, you know, because of COVID from doing a play to to film is is that you know it's a little more covid friendly um but also you know that it uh it's it's more accessible like you said because it's is a you know media that can be accessed virtually but are there plans will the premiere just be on on like an online platform or are there going to be in person things i mean i know that we could never know <laughs> Right. We can never How know. things are going to be in help. the future. We've I learned even, to adapt. I know. Yeah. Why would I even ask questions like that now? Like, yeah. is there going to be an in-person gathering yeah. for this no one future knows. event? Yeah. Uh, well, we hope but, so. We hope so. Right now, um, we hope to premiere, have our first premiere of the film's April 2nd at the Dagoda Lowe Cultural Center in Old Town, Eureka. Um, obviously, limited audiences in person, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, uh, but then also um, premiere in, at Del Arte in Blue Lake and then other venues in the county. Um, it's going to be a, a month long, uh, hopefully, a month month of, of, of uh, film events and then possibly other um, community events that go with it. Talks, we're hoping to bring the filmmakers in person together so that we can have you know, a panel with them. Um, but we will also be making the films available virtually. So yeah. I guess that's what you call the hybrid model. Yeah, yep, I, that's what yeah. they call it now. And there are these other components to the to the project as well, right? I read, I mean, it sounds like a lot of focus is on, on the films, but um, it, you know, also the website says there will be a podcast uh, is that still a part of the of the project? Yeah, yeah, that's um, I'm I'm working on it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, if you have any spare time, um, yeah, I was gonna say, I, I, gonna say, I, I wish I wish we could offer expertise, but yeah, we don't know what we're doing. Really you don't know what you're doing. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we're winging it. We're winging right. it at best. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Uh, so uh, obviously, Michelle, you're doing this. The, the Bartow project is a labor of love. But like you, you, in, you, you introduced an idea uh, a couple minutes ago that I, I, I don't know was interesting to me, and I wanted to circle back on. You're talking about like getting uh, getting traditions back. Is that is, is that how you framed it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, like, you know, first first of all, can you explain a little bit more what you meant by that? Yeah. So um, 
uh, such a complicated history um, with it. I've, that's why it was interesting. To <laughs> yeah. Me. yeah. <laughs> so, which I'm kind of an expert at now, by now. <laughs> a lot of things that I've done. Um, but a lot of people don't, well, a lot of people kind of know, some people don't. It all depends on who's doing the research or wants to seek more. Um, but when the United States was being developed, um, there was this idea of getting rid of us constantly and mm. taking our land because a lot of the things that we had were full of natural resources. And as we know, that's kind of what the United States is typically about is getting resources. Um, yeah. And that's a nice way to put it. And I'll be very nice about this <laughs> or try to be. Um, so that has happened. We also, of course, we were a little different in Northern California. We didn't get, colonization didn't occur until the very end of the establishing the United States because we're in such a, rural area of trees and like it was hard to access us um so in as we know 1860 we unfortunately had a massacre that got rid of a lot of our you know tribal members and we're still here though i always tell that we're still here i mean i'm here my dad's here every you know family mm -hmm. members the reds so that occurred and then by the late 1800s to 1900s um boarding schools arrived so it became law that all Native children, not just um, Northern California or the Pacific Coast, but all Native children throughout the United States were required and had to go to boarding schools. And so at these boarding schools, um, they lasted till 1970. So that was about 100 years of um, that going on. So that occurred. And at these schools, a lot of children faced a lot of abuse, of mental, physical, and sexual. They were not allowed to be who they were. They were not allowed to speak their languages. They were not allowed to practice traditions. Um, and a lot of that society that was, you know, the United States and churches that were incorporating these schools thought that they were civilizing us, um, making us more Western. And really, they were just causing a lot of trauma to our communities. So all of this has occurred. Um, I never want to say that we lost our traditions. That's something I tell a lot of Native people we don't need to claim. We still have our traditions. They're just asleep. Um, so mm -hmm. for me, yeah. we started waking up our traditions when I was 14, I believe. And we started doing research. And one reason was because I'm also um, Latina. So I'm Mayan and we are. And my parents were asking me, what do you want to do? Um, and so, you know, they're like, do you want a quince? Do you want a sweet 16? And I was like, I don't want a quince because I don't want to wear that ridiculous white dress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a sweet 16 because um, I was a selfish teenager. And I was like, I'm not getting a car. <laughs> also, at that <laughs> point, I wasn't even driving because I was terrified. So that made no sense. But I did ask my parents, um, what do we do as we are people? Like, what is, what is there for us? And so that kind of started this whole process of learning um, and bringing back these traditions that we hadn't practiced in so long. And so the last coming of age um, for us was 150 years. Um, so that was a whole community effort. It wasn't just me, it was the whole community coming together. We had asked the Yurks to help us because they have a very similar ceremony called a flower dance. And then we also asked the Hoopa. So they all came together. We read books for whatever info we could find because some people recorded some things so that started that process. Um, so we awoke the flower dance, which we now have girls dancing, which is really exciting because I didn't want it to be just one person and, and not continue, um, but it has continued. And then that started the process of figuring out our brush dances. And that was a whole other process. And I remember um, 
we finally, so with the, the brush dances in the communities, um, there's different tribes and they all come together to do it. And so we had finally done the Sumig brush dance. And the one thing that I remember from that, I think Walt had told my dad, it's about time we've been waiting for you. Like we have had mm. your camp ready for you. Um, so that was really amazing to have that. And then the last ceremony was the coming of, or not, I'm saying coming, but was the world renewal ceremony. Um, and that was the other, again, the last world renewal ceremony we had was in 1860 when the massacre yeah. occurred. Um, so that was the whole process of bringing that together. But again, it was just us being a community, knowing that we needed to wake these up. And so that's what the process began. And so Rick had was a part of that, not knowing, I actually just discovered, and I should have remembered that Uncle Rick was in my life even before I met him. Um, yeah. So when I did my coming of age ceremony, there was this like helmet or hat that he had created and my uncle wore it as the fire bearer. So he was the one that was keeping the fire. Um, and I, I didn't know what was going on because I was blindfolded during this whole ceremony. There's just, you're transitioning from young girl to women. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot happening. But I remember when they unveiled, I saw this hat and I, I know I should have been like, oh, this is the moment that I am now an adult. But I saw this hat and I was like, what is that? Um, <laughs> so then they had explained that it was a piece by Rick Bartow and that like, um, I think he had gifted it to Cheryl and Cheryl really wanted it to be in the ceremony because she wanted as many tribal members part of the ceremony. And so she get or not gifted, but gave my uncle to wear that hat. Um, so again, it's really weird because Rick has been in my life without me knowing it. And then the brush, yeah. um, he got to perform or not perform, but do a brush dance with us at the Smithsonian. Um, and that was the time when I was learning brush dancing too. And then the world or yeah, the world renewal ceremony came to place and he came to visit. And that was another instance where he didn't think he was going to participate. He thought he was just going to be with everyone else and participating by watching and giving good medicine. And that was when my dad stepped up and was like, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're doing it. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what it means for us to bring back or awaken our traditions is just going from what we've had, knowing that they're still there. We just have to wake them up. And that is by research or asking other tribes. Um, and so for me, again, at this process of making this film, I didn't realize like, that's what me and Uncle Rick had common. Maybe that's what brought us close to is because we were both learning these things at the same time. And it's like I tell Zuko all the time, this project is very magical and Uncle Rick is definitely leading it because I had forgotten about the um, my flower or my coming of age ceremony. I was like, oh, everything makes sense. Um, and wow. for me, three like confirms things. And I was like, oh, everything has been confirmed. And because that's why, like, for me, I was like, should I be doing this project or should I be doing this film? Like, I knew I, I could oversee these things. And I remember kind of just, I'm like, I don't know if I want to direct. I can <laughs> run away. And she's oh, like, you... I was like, okay, okay, Michelle, you don't have to direct. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, no, clear, clearly she does have to. I mean, it's it's uh, kind of a kind of a destiny thing it would appear well i think that's just a yeah a beautiful framing of like a waking up our traditions that is a, that's a beautiful way to say this um and i want to say you know we we mentioned earlier a few months back we had marnie atkins on the show who we mentioned is is currently 
working hard to get the Wiat Cultural Center uh, in Old Town up and going. Um, and when, when, we, when we had her on, she talked about like what an encouraging time this is because we, we agreed like we are seeing Wiat culture embraced by Humboldt at large in a way that it has never um, and it feels like there's better dialogue happening in this community. Like, do you, do you share that optimism, Michelle? I do. I actually, um, I felt for a very long time we'd been ignored. And it was really weird because, like, growing up, I'm like, this is our traditional territory. It's not an ownership. I never want to say ownership, but this is a land that we take care of. Yeah. So, like, that's what's really important for us. And I think when people think of the idea of land back, um, I think, again, because of resources and people, corporation, they automatically think that we want to make money off our land. And we don't. Yeah, we want to take care of it. Um, because if there's nobody taking care of it, who what's left um, for our future generations? And when I say future generations, literally what's left for the children that I have. And so yeah. that's one part um, that's really important about communication with our communities. And so... Again, going back to when I was a kid, I didn't really see these relationships happening. And my father, um, who happens to be the tribal chair, um, has always been kind of on tribal government um, since I was a kid. So I'd see these things and sometimes how frustrated he was because of the really butting heads with the community. Um, and mm. so I felt ignored as a kid. And then I started seeing a shift. I think uh, it must have been my early 20s where maybe people were starting to reach out. And especially well, when I was 16, the Eureka gave us a partial part of the island back. And so I was a yeah. part of that as well. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, but yeah. I really saw the movement in my 20s um, when they started talking about all sorts of things like us. We would go into classrooms a little bit. Um, and discussing who we are as we are people. And now I see it more, um, which is really, really exciting because at Del Arte, we have so let look all over the place with different words. Yeah. And it's something that I'm learning, um, but to be excited that maybe non um, we are people are learning as well so I can communicate. And I think that's really important. I think there's still some work to be happening um, in our community, but I feel like they're accepting more. And I think that's not just here in Humboldt, but I think that's throughout the United States. I think people are realizing how important it is to have relationships with the first people, the first people here in the United States. Um, because again, we just want our communities better. Um, yeah. We don't want you know to make money. We just want to make a better and place. I, and I and I think that's important. You mentioned I, I I I know what you're talking about. Where you know people have an uneasiness with that concept of land back. I know like it's, you know, it's, a, it's an imperfect slogan. It, it, it conjures different things in different people's heads, but I've seen, you know, you know, your dad as the chair of um, We Out Tribe, you know, he speaks at lots of community events and his message is always welcome. You know, you're welcome. We, we're, we're on We Out Land, welcome. You are welcome here. Um, and it's, it's always like, he's so, he's so warm. And I think he's such a good communicator um concept uh and so i've always really appreciated that about him but like um so what's so what's next what what, what else uh would y'all like to see as, as as part of this growing openness to to we out culture um i guess opening more spaces for us like for us i know del arte is working um to open more of a community space for native artists um i think that's something that's important and again um you know Eureka is in we got traditional land, but I also think it's really important to know that 
there's your rocks and hoop buzz and we're all we have artists within our community and for us growing up on the reservation and not really having like we have access to art in our own communities but having more access to more people and not just youth if that makes sense because I think we focus a lot on youth um, I want access for all tribal members. And I know Dalarte and our, we have a um, working relationship, but I know that we're also working. I also sit on the board of Dalarte. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but allowing spaces for Native people to be able to express themselves. And I think that's really important. That's one thing I see happening. I also think just working with the communities, especially with fixing our environment, um, that's really important for me because, again, as I say I'm going to have children eventually, but it's really scary to know what am I leaving for my child? Um, mm. And is that the right decision if the environment's not a good place? Um, and I know we are doing a really great job in Humboldt, but I feel like there's so much more that can be happening. Um, so I guess just continuing these relationships and making them stronger. That's what I see. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and Zuska, you know, I know that like Del Arte has a, a long history of, of collaborating with local tribes on, on projects and stuff. And, um, you know, obviously kind of famously this year, y'all made the point of, of changing the name of the, the long running Mad River Festival. You guys changed the name to the, the Badawat Festival. Like, as, a, as a theater company, like why, why are these kinds of collaborations important? Yeah, that's a deep question. Um, Oh gosh, uh, from the beginning, Del Arte has always had a focus on uh, generating original works uh, that are informed and created by the community, right? Del Arte talks about doing theater of place. And in a way, you know, in that particular field or art form, that's seen as like um, a, uh, you know, like maybe a niche of the art form, right? Like sort of a niche way of doing theater. Um, for for my money, my perspective is that um, uh, the creative act art is something that actually is uh, one of the ways in which communities can communicate to each other, right? And mm -hmm. theater, because it has you know, uh, uh, large audiences, people are in, you know, time and space together uh, when we can gather. Um, it, it's particularly true where there are um, subjects, there are uh, experiences, events that we all experience together, like the pandemic, for example, in which it's really important for us to have a space uh, to be able to process through and understand those experiences as a community to build a, a cohesive social fabric. So like when I hear Michelle talking about her hopes, um, I just think about how um, important it is for uh, there to be a space for people to communicate about historical trauma, for example, because we all live together here on this land, right? And yeah. uh, in order to, to move forward and evolve and be healthy as a community, um, we need to be able to do these things together. So I think as a theater company, it's, um, it's foolish not to engage with your community in a fundamental way and to have people from the community um, that carry the meaning of the place that the company exists in, you know, in their lives and in their bodies um, 
at the table. So making the decisions about what kind of things should be um, focused on creatively. Yeah. Do we have what? What else? Uh, you know, are there any other plans in, in the works for creating more of the, that type of space, or you know, uh, other uh, arts related? Sure. I mean, with the tribe. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the future is unknown. Um, things are all again. Why do I keep asking? Very, yes. Why do Stop I keep talking asking about the questions future about stuff. the future? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I won't. I, I don't think you're supposed to ask plan. people in interviews. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, well, you know, we although the project period we had an extension actually of a year on this project because initially it was going to be a two year project, but as we know, COVID. Um, Fair. So, uh, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, so uh, we will be culminating the project project in May. However, the Badawat Festival continues. Mm -hmm. um, so we look forward to uh, being able to expand upon um, uh, the work of the Bartow Project, again, uh, premiering or not premiering, but screening the films at the, at the festival in the summertime. And then hopefully with a little bit of luck, being able to bring in, again, other uh, native artists to be present and participating in the festival. Um, I uh, do not sit on the board uh, or in any of the major okay. uh, decision-making positions at Del Arte, but I do believe that um, it is uh, more and more so the intention of Del Arte to do the groundwork to develop um, uh, relationships and, as Michelle said, to create a space that is inviting and um, empowering for uh, native artists, whether they're local or uh, from other places and are brought to Humboldt County because of something, because of a relationship or because of what they're working on. Um, uh, to know that Del Arte is a space where uh, their work will be supported and, um, uh, and also um, uh, where that work will be uh, uh, advocated for uh, in our local community, um, yeah, mm. which hasn't always been true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I think that we were probably both about to say the, the same thing. I'm probably. guessing, which yeah. is that uh, somehow we have already been talking for uh, about an hour, uh, <laughs> which I, I had promised, which is uh, usually the, the the amount of time that we you know a lot for these. And so, um, you know, we of course just want to thank you both again for for talking to us more about this this project and. Um, you know, is there is there something that that either one of you, but you know, both of you would like to add any uh, any other words about the project or just in general to the community before we before we end? Yeah, I guess I can say something. I think um, I'm really excited about the Barter project because again, it is a theater company that's LRT is a theater company and that's helping produce this project, um, but it's film, and I think that's opening so much more possibilities. And I think that's something mm. we don't realize. Um, well, if you're not an artist, I think a lot of people don't put those things together. Um, but, you know, art goes in all sorts of ways. I mean, it's a theater company producing four short films about a artist who works in a medium of painting. <laughs> so they right. all come together. And I think seeing this happen, the other possibilities that can happen outside of this project. Again, where I want this project to continue outside of the period of once they're done. And we have so many other goals for them, but I think it definitely opens up a new possibility, especially, you know, 
the pandemic has happened and it showed that a lot of live performances couldn't happen and people community couldn't come see them. But now with Zoom and all sorts of like communications, we're allowed access to those things and it's evolving. And so I think this is a great example of showing what, um, yes, this pandemic happened, but it helped evolve an art form. And yeah. so more people have access to it. I think that's what's also incredible. Absolutely. Mm. Are there any hopes of, of, of still doing the, the play uh, component someday you know, or is that kind of- hope springs eternal always. Yeah. I still have a fantasy of building a car size uh, 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 animated object, i.e. very large puppet of one of Rick's sculptures, which is called oh, wow. Snarf and wow. looks like a deranged <laughs> hyena mother. Um, uh, so yes, yes. If you know anybody out there would like to drop some cash on this puppet, I would <laughs> just love that for the this this crazy puppet to roam around the audience at the festival in the summer. Mm. Um, I did want to bring into the room also before we uh, close out uh, the uh, board member, longtime board member, Yurok tribal member, Awok, Jean Brundin, yeah. who sadly passed last year, yeah. um, but who uh, was really um, uh, just such an important person for the Del Arte community. Not only did he serve on the board, but he videoed every single performance that happened there and the relationships that he built with the students, myself including, uh, were were part of the reason why students who came through Del Arte understood anything about the Native community in Humboldt County. So we were just so lucky to have him um, uh, be willing to be that bridge for folks coming from other places, arriving in Humboldt and understanding who the people of Humboldt are. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 this iteration of the project is dedicated to him. Yeah. I had I had one more thing uh, that I wanted to ask Michelle before we before we go. Um, we'll and we'll we'll end on this. You know, like Michelle, you you, you and I grew up uh, a few blocks away from each other. I mean, it's Table Bluff, so these are very very long blocks. But uh, it it occurs to me, you know, like I haven't I haven't spoken to you at length since you were a teenager, um, and this, you're so you're a completely different, fully formed person now, and it's very yeah. Im impressive to to me to to see you know what you're what you're up to and and doing important work like this. And it occurs to me that you are the I think pretty sure the first humbled holding up, which we call this guest that we've had that doesn't currently uh, reside in Humboldt. And so I'm wondering, like, <laughs> your, your, your voice is, is so important and needed this time. I'm wondering, when, are you going to move back? <laughs> Ask me that question. Even my dad, which I'm actually going to Humble next week um, for the holidays. Okay. Okay. And I'll get that question. He's like, when do you move? Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, huh, when does that happen? Um, I, I talked to my partner about him. He's like, maybe when we retire. <laughs> I'm like, that would be nice. But it's really funny because I live in Los Angeles and I live here yeah. because I work in film. Um, but a lot of my work is in Humboldt. And so like, yeah, it's kind of funny. You're building, you're building up some good Humboldt cred. I'm just yeah. saying like, it might be a, might be a place to, 
come come make a mark. I don't know. Yeah, let's so not let my dad hear this because then he'll be like, everyone's telling you. Uh, <laughs> Ted, we're on your side. Yeah, we are definitely bring Michelle back. Giving Ted some yeah, fuel I here. That, um, I think yeah. when they had the cultural center, I got to visit it, and I was looking at all the spaces. I'm like, geez, this would be a nice office space. And he's like, oh, I'm like, well, yeah. give me an office space. I can. Mm-hmm back home he's like no yeah <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure rent rent is much cheaper here right in humboldt yeah, than la yeah much okay. cheaper we're, we're in the talks me and my partner just or my husband just started our own production company so we're thinking about maybe having an office in humboldt in the near future so we can go okay. back and forth um yeah but eventually i'll go home it will happen just, All right. Well, we'll yeah. we'll we'll keep working on you. Okay. So, we'll keep, but, we'll but, keep the office space open in the building yeah. here, so you can be next to us and the cultural center. And well, yeah. we look forward to at least hopefully seeing you. Uh, you know, in the spring uh, when when things are happening. I hope you'll get to visit Humboldt. And I thought maybe just really quick. Uh, you know, well, we can mention, of course. If people want to find out more information, they can go to the bartoproject.com and then just a you know kind of quick rundown again in the spring. Hopefully we'll be seeing the premiere of the films. And then there are also going to be, you know, um uh displays of, of Rick's work. Uh yes. And, and can we say when and where those will be yet, or is that still Yes, we can be uh, as 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 accurate as possible at this moment. Thank you <laughs> okay. for bringing that up. Um, Brittany Britton has been a collaborator of the project since pretty much the get-go. So lucky to have her, and she is now the director of the Goudini Gallery on the HSU campus. Mm-hmm. So she will be bringing together an, a local exhibit of Rick's artwork at Goudini, which I believe will open in April as well. I think okay. that target is a little movable right now. You never know. You never know. Um, but it'll be there for a couple of months. We also hope to have a, a smaller but um, Rick-focused exhibit at the Cultural Center itself. So she's working really hard on uh, getting local um, people who own pieces of Rick's art locally um, to lend those and then also bringing some stuff down from Oregon. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for talking about uh, uh, more about all of this and... Uh, Thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah. All right, that's it. Again, we want to thank uh, Michelle and Zuska for their willingness to get in the room with Loco. Very intimidating place to be. Um, (laughs) But they held held their own. Uh, The Bar Toe Project to be uh, coming out sometime early next year, it sounds like. And uh, again, just a reminder that uh, this coming uh, Thursday is Thanksgiving and uh, Zuska, it sounds like, will be on the Badawatch River near Blue Lake doing just a little morning walk if you want to start a new tradition. I don't know. That sounds like I could do. Yeah. If I'm up anyway uh, at sunrise, (laughs) which I am a lot of days these days. No, it's 3 a.m. Ziggy's screaming. Go take her for a walk. And uh, that's happy, it. That's it. Happy holiday. Happy yeah, holiday to you. I uh, hope everybody has a fun and safe time. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Humboldt. Slow
Once again, we want to remind our listeners that Humble Holding Up is generously sponsored by the North Coast Co-op. You know, as somebody who lives in Arcata and works in Old Town, I spend an awful lot of time going to the co-op, both for my grocery shopping and lunch eating needs. What about you, Goff? Well, yeah, I, I mentioned the salad, but the other thing I get often is the, uh, I get the, the, the sushi, you know, they got the, the sushi oh, yeah, yeah. stand there and I, I go and I'll get the, 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 the poke bowl. You ever had the poke bowl? Oh yeah. I love the poke bowl. And I also oh. love the, the popcorn tofu. That's a, that's a fan favorite. I'm told very popular in, in Humboldt County. They refer to it as hippie crack. <laughs> Am I not you heard it here first. <laughs> No, I think it's great. I think uh, you've you've personalized the product and uh, everybody's going to rush down to the North Coast Co-op to get that hippie crack. That's right. Check out the North Coast Co-op, a Humboldt's organic community-owned grocery store since 1973. You know, speaking of uh, Cypress Grove, as we were a bit ago, uh, I, I assume that most people know that this is a this is a goat cheese that they're offering. You, you, you know that stuff? I, I was aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they very much, uh, they, they pride themselves on the, the health and happiness of their goats. And I am on the uh, cypressgrovecheese.com website, which coincidentally enough is a great place to go and buy Cypress Grove cheese. And I, sure, and I went to their uh, about us uh, slash dairy uh, section and I'm, and I'm looking at uh, nice photos of adorable goats just looking happier than me. Really yeah. is what's what's important here. And right? you're a, you're I, a goat I, man. You're a, you're a keeper of goats, so you would I have, appreciate this a lot. I have some goats, but they don't make cheese, and I'm <laughs> starting to wonder why they don't. They're not pulling their weight. Is <laughs> yeah, what I'm, this is their so purpose. <laughs> I'm going to take my goats, uh, show them this website on uh, my phone, and say, "Get to work, goats. Be more <laughs> like the Cypress Grove." goats. Well, I'm happy to hear that Cypress Goat keeps some really healthy, happy goats. And it shows because their cheese is delicious and happy goats make delicious cheese. Everybody knows that. So yeah, check out, Cypress, <laughs> check out cypressgrove.com, buy some of their delicious cheese, or you can find it at like any of the local grocery stores, like the North Coast Co-op. They're Good also a sponsor. <laughs> Good tie-in, Steph. <laughs> Thank you.